Starting time. All righty. So uh, as we resume now our uh, the halachas, so I thought that it would be a, a nice thing to start getting ready for the upcoming uh, Yom Tovim. Uh, so I was trying to find something related to Rosh Hashanah, although there was, uh, you know, other than getting into technical chauffeur stuff, so I wasn't sure if that was uh, really going to, uh, to do it for us. So as I was searching around, I found a, uh, uh, an important piece which uh, addresses not only Sukkot, but it addresses a general uh, topic which is really uh, applicable all year round, was worthwhile all year round. And um, the question is going to be specifically, which uh, this is a, a, it's a tshuva from of Usher Weiss, where the uh, question which he addresses is, what happens if a person goes out and builds their sukkah in a way which violates Dina de Machusa? So what exactly is going to be the impact on that? Uh, as we know, depending on wh- where you live, for those of us in uh, in Skokie, certainly it's true. I'm not sure those uh, who live in other parts of the uh, the country if it's uh, as relevant. But if you're going to do any sort of construction project, generally the municipality requires that you pull permits. As you go ahead and you get permits and you pay for it and they have inspectors and they want to make sure that it's safe and everything is done according to, co- to code. And here you could have a circumstance where a person goes out and builds a sukkah, no permits, no code. Uh, as we know, so for some people, their sukkah, as soon as the first wind blows, so their sukkah collapses. So it becomes, uh, you know, there's a lot of electricity around there and there's a lot of co- collapsing stuff. So can you fulfill the mitzvah in the event that your sukkah is in clear violation of Dina de Malchusa? Okay, so this is what we're going to try and explore. And uh, so we're going to read, um, rather than coming up with the Mar Makomos um, um, uh, cutting and pasting uh, the marmacomos. So I thought that it would probably make probably make more sense to go ahead and just read. For, um, hold on, is it on your screen? Uh, yes, it's on the screen. Okay, uh, to go ahead and to uh, to uh, to read. Uh, the relevant parts inside, and then we'll see the uh, the relevant Dermarmacomas. So here, so this is a chuba to a person named Tzvi Reisman, a well-known Tamil uh, Chacham Balabas uh, out of Los Angeles. Uh, teaches a lot of Torah. He supports uh, financially a lot of Torah, and he has a relationship with Avasher Weiss. And he wanted to know, the uh, this, this Rabbi Tzvi Reisman wanted to know from, uh, from Avasher Weiss he says, So he says, You saw written in my name, that my inclination is, that the rule, that that the law of the land is going to be binding halachically, is it's relevant not only when it comes to financial matters, he says, any law which is put in place, which is going to benefit society, anything which is going to be to the benefit of society or mankind, Vishal, and therefore, being that you heard that that was what I said, whether or not that understanding of the parameters, that very broad application of Dina does that go against? Does that contradict, or is it inconsistent with what I gave, what I said over when I gave a shear in Los Angeles? 
where the Efshel Lassay Sidei Chova Chovaso Biyeshiva Besuka Shed Nivnesa Lelo Ishur Chuki Shel Shitonus that you could fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah in a uh, a sukkah which was built without the necessary permits. Even though, according to the law, you're not allowed to build a structure, even a temporary structure, without the necessary permits. So if Dina de Malchusa is actually uh, creates a binding obligation to comply with all of those laws, which are for the benefit of the community and benefit of people. So then seemingly the need for building code is something which is really falls into that those parameters. And therefore it should be prohibited to go ahead and build a sukkah, which is going to be in violation of Dina de Malchusa. And how am I, meaning with Asher Weiss, how am I going to go ahead and reconcile this? So he says, and this is one of, one of the reasons that we uh, really like Rav Asher Weiss, is because he's very honest, straightforward, and doesn't mind sharing with us uh, very specifically his thinking process. And he says, initially, when I thought about the, the parameters of Dina de Machusa, so I thought, So my initial thinking was, that Dina de Machusa, there's very limited scope of what's included in Dina de Machusa, and what's the limited scope of that is going to be those things which are related to monetary matters. So, for example, the, the most classic example is the government, Halacha recognizes a government's right to tax. So, government says that we're going to tax you 3% Talavai, 5% Talavai, 10% Talavai, 15% Talavai, whatever it is that they say that they're going to tax. So that certainly is something which Halacha recognizes their right to go ahead and do so. And they also have the right when they go ahead and enact the laws, putting aside what those laws are, but they also have the right to go ahead and say that if you violate the laws, there's going to be a financial penalty. And you are expected to go ahead and pay that. And if they forcibly take that money from you, that's not a violation of gazela. They have the right to go ahead and tax, and they have the right to go ahead and take money. So Vajra Weiss says that initially, I thought that that, that is the extent, and that is the, the scope of Dinud Machusa, things which are not related to monetary matters, such as building code and whatnot, so maybe that's something which is outside of what Dina de Machusa, what Halacha would recognize as Dina de Machusa. And if you go ahead and you decide not to get the necessary permits, although you're taking a risk because they may realize and they pe- may penalize you, but you're not in violation of Halacha in the event that you go ahead and you do that because it's not really within the scope of what they have the right to mandate from a Halachic perspective. And he brings various uh, proofs to this idea. The Rambam says, for example, that whatever the government puts in place, whatever the king or the government puts in place, as far as monetary matters are concerned, so that's going to be binding. That's going to be binding. And similarly, the Ramban writes that that any monetary matter, halacha recognizes the right of the government to go ahead and to uh, to uh, to create such laws and to obligate people financially. Okay, so that he goes ahead and Rav Asher Weiss says, that was my initial thinking, is that Dina de Machusa is really limited to financial matters, the right essentially to tax, 
and it, uh, anything outside of that is not within their purview. Then he says, he says, then I contemplated the matter a little bit more. The root of this halacha. And at this point, my new thinking, Dina de Machusa 2.0, so now I think that there's actually a broader definition. Because really at the core of this idea, when you think about it conceptually, of Dina de Machusa Dina, really what it comes down to is, is what exactly is the scope of a king or the scope of a government? How does it, how does halacha perceive a government entity? The Kevin Shiesh Din Melch B'Torah, we know certainly there's a parsha, there's such a thing halachically as a king. And when it comes to matters related to a king or a government, so there is a recognition, the Torah says you should place upon yourself a king, and Chazal says that there's supposed to be awe and reverence for the king, for the government. And that creates a mandate to go ahead and listen to the king. Because if there's obligation to uh, to give honor and respect and have uh, reverence, so that means you have to you have to listen. And even though these sources, which, which Rav Asher Weiss is quoting in this paragraph, are said specifically by a Jewish king, Som is specifically a Jewish king, but he says, But we certainly find throughout all of Tanakh, There's a concept of a melech. Many people throughout Tanakh are referred to as the king of this country, non-Jewish kings of non-Jewish countries, and Tanakh recognizes that. And there's no such thing as a king, and there's no such thing as a government which does not have binding authority and the ability to go ahead and enforce the uh, the uh, their institutions, their laws, their mandates, and their practices. And this is something which he says is very clear to him, that this is something which is going to be binding, a recognition that if the government decides that something should be put in place, so they have the right to go ahead and, and, and do that. Now, the question then becomes that although it may be true that the government has the right to go ahead and create laws which people are expected to, uh, uh, to, uh, to comply with, but what happens when there is some sort of conflict, potential conflict between Dina de Machusa and, um, uh, and Halacha? When they, when they don't coexist, when they can't play nicely in the playground together, and we're going to have to go ahead and prioritize one ahead of the other, so what exactly is going to be, uh, what, what is going to happen at, at that point? Now, it, it's important to, uh, to, to know that this idea, this uh, um, understanding of Dinda de Machusa, which is presented by Rav Asher Weiss, is something that Rav Chaim Kohn also, uh, he subscribes to the same view, and he writes that Anytime there's a law which the government puts in place, which if we were the government, we would put that same law into place, that's going to be binding, that's going to fit into Dina de Machusa Dina. So he says, for example, 
uh, traffic law, and Rav Asher Weiss is actually going to touch upon traffic law later on in the tshuva, but he says traffic law, if we were in charge of the government, we would undoubtedly put traffic law in place. Because you can't have a bunch of people driving around with heavy machinery uh, at uh, who knows what speed they're going to want to go at without some sort of rules of the road to be able to dictate who is allowed to go, where are you going, when, uh, what the, uh, the, uh, uh, how to go ahead and keep other drivers and pedestrians safe. So there's no way that you could have a functioning country which doesn't have traffic law. And therefore, halacha recognizes traffic law as binding. Even to the degree where I asked Abhaim once about the requirement in Illinois, I think at the time that I asked him, I, I don't remember now if it's still true, but uh, when getting your driver's license as a teenager, so you had to have 50 hours of driving with another person before you could get your license. And everybody wants to know, am I, what exactly does 50 mean? Does 50 really mean five? Does 50 mean 15? Because it sounds close to 50. Or does 50 mean 50 hours? What exactly does that mean? Rukhaim said no. The reason why the uh, the government says you need 50 hours is because that's how we are we have confidence that you have enough experience driving that we society can now feel comfortable giving you a driver's license to go ahead and drive on your own. If you don't have those 50 hours, so then you might not have sufficient experience driving on the road that you would be a safe driver vis-a-vis -vis yourself and vis-a-vis -vis others, and he's not willing to compromise at all on those 50 hours much to my kid's chagrin, but nonetheless, that is, a, but he says that it's a logical law. It's something which if we were putting the laws in place, we would also have a similar type of thing that we want to make sure that if you're getting behind the wheel of a car, that you know what you're doing and you have experience. And therefore that is going to be binding as far as Dina de Mahusa. But now the question is, what is going to happen when they're in conflict with one another? So here, Rav Asher Weiss uh, goes at insights two interesting tshuvas. One is the tshuva of the, from the, the Tashmas. Uh, I think is, is the name. So he says that the Tashmas was appointed as a replacement for the Rivash. The Rivash is one of the later Rishonim. And uh, when the, the Rivash passed away, I assume, so the Tashmas was uh was uh, was supposed to take his place, but the government mandated that whoever's going to be the chief rabbi has to get approval, has to apply for the position for the government. The government needs to give approval to that. He says that uh, that you had to get government permission to assume the position of chief rabbi. And without that authorization or without a rabbinic license from the government, so he would have the Tashbats would have no authority whatsoever to adjudicate financial matters. They would not consider that to be binding. They would not consider that to be acceptable at all. That would be something which is just going to be dismissed. So now the question is, does the Tashbats, does he have to actually go ahead and get license from the government to go ahead and to serve as a chief rabbi? Or chief rabbi is a rabbinical position. It's not a governmental position. He doesn't care whether the government approves of him or not. And therefore, why should he, uh, why should he get approval? And then he says, And the Tashbats went ahead and he wrote at length to argue, that the rules of Dina de Malchusa are not applicable in this instance for two different reasons. Aleph, number one is, 
כיוון שאין זה חוק מקובל במלכוס מקדם הסתנה. Because it was never the law that was in place before. This is a new thing which they're instituting. And Elaratzon Hamelach, this is a new thing that the king is putting in place. The Tashvat saw it as a selfish uh, uh, request or selfish demand of the king and not something which was ever demanded before. And here he makes an interesting distinction. I've seen this uh, cited in uh, in other Sfarim. But here the Tashbat says that the, what Chazal say is Dina de Malchusa, that the law of the Malchus, meaning the government, Velo Dina de Malka. But not that every king could go ahead and everything which comes out of his mouth suddenly becomes binding on every citizen in the in the kingdom. That Chazal never said. It has to have some sort of governmental authority to it. That is going to be binding. But if on a whim, the king says, oh, go pick me up a, uh, you know, a burger body. And then uh, that, that becomes to say that that's going to be dinner de Malchusa, because the king said, pick up a burger body. So that the Tashbat says, is it, that's not true. That's, uh, that's not binding at all. Then number two, he says, Kevan, and this is a more important thing. He says, Kevan shetakanazu soseres et Torah. That this requirement, this uh, this government mandate to be licensed in order to be the chief rabbi, so that goes against the mitzvah of the Torah. Da'atu yesh biyat ha-malchus imnoam et tamidich ha-chamim ha-ru'uyim lahoros melekayim mitzvasam. If you have tamidich ha-chamim who are capable of issuing halachic rulings and who are capable of adjudicating monetary matters, they know the necessary halacha and they know the necessary uh, um Torah. So how could somebody else come along and say, you're not allowed to paskin? What do you mean? I'm qualified to paskin. I have the, the necessary credentials. I learned the necessary halachas. They have, they, the government can't stop me from doing something which the Torah says I'm perfectly qualified to do. And therefore the Tashbat says emphatically that Dina de Machusa cannot encroach and say that something which is halachically allowed is going to be permitted. They could say you owe money. They could say you owe taxes. But if halacha says that you are qualified as a Tamil Chacham to go ahead and issue halachic rulings, the government come al- can't come along and say, since you're not licensed, we don't allow you to do so. That's outside of their purview. Okay, now that part we don't need to see. And he said a similar type of thing. He says, I and O, quotes this the second Shuvi quotes. He says, if you look also in the Shuvi Me'ava, I think that's a, a student of the No De if I remember correctly. He says, So the government went ahead and they put in place a law that the only person who's allowed to go ahead and to serve as Masada Kedushin, who is able to oversee even Jewish marriage, is the chief rabbi alone. Relevant for Dafyomi. And then the question arose, let's say you had some rabbi in town who officiated at a chasna, haram kudashasli, not that he said it, but he was there to make sure that it was all done according to halacha, but this was not the chief rabbi. And he didn't get permission from the chief rabbi of the local town to go ahead and be Masada Kedushin. So if the government says, we refuse to recognize this marriage, but halacha says that a Kedushin was done, so does the Kedushin take effect or not? And he says, umaskanaso, and his conclusion is, he says, of course the Kedushin is going to take effect. And the fact that the government says, la, 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 we're pretending that we have, we're not recognizing it and we refuse to recognize it, it's irrelevant. 
Because as we know, and we're going to come to this again in Dafyomi soon, that even if a person goes out and marries one of the Arias, which is prohibited, not one of the Karis ones, but one of the regular prohibited Arias, so even though it's in violation of the Torah, the Kedushin is still going to take effect. So if you could do Kedushin, even when it's in violation of the Torah, certainly if you do Kedushin, which is in violation of Dina de Malchusa, it's certainly going to be binding. But nonetheless, what we see is that Dina de Malchusa has a very wide scope of its applicability, but there is going to be a limitation in terms of the fact that it's not going to be able to go ahead and um, get in the way of uh, the performance of mitzvahs. Yes, Alan. Okay, well, that's great to say that it's not going. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. But it does matter because, for example. Uh, marital rights, tax rights, and stuff like that, uh, if the state doesn't recognize it, then they aren't eligible for it. Right, right. Yeah, so they, they would not be able to take advantage of any of the privileges of being married if the government doesn't recognize the marriage. Correct. So they're going to be dancing, uh, you know, both sides. Halacha says they're married. The uh, government says that they're not married. And they can't fill out any paperwork uh, uh, that would have a... Uh, that requires a secular marriage or uh, a marriage license to be in place, right? So they would not be able to go ahead and do so. Okay, now he says, now he says a fascinating thing. And this is something which I, I've mentioned many times over the years, and I was excited to see it inside. He says, He says, based on what we're saying, that this broad definition of Dina de Bochusa and anything which the government puts in place for the benefit of society or the benefit of the uh, citizens of the, the, the country is going to be binding. So we have to explore Misha over Dina de Malchusa, Ma Chato Uma Pasho, Mitzad Mitzvah Satora. Somebody violates uh, Dina de Malchusa. So what exactly is the Aveir which they have committed? So that we, we know it, it's well established. Whether, regardless of whether you have a broad definition of Dina de Machusa or a narrow definition of Dina de Machusa, but everybody agrees that there's going to be something which is binding in terms of Dina de Machusa. A person violates that. So, what exactly have they done? Because we can understand. So, when it comes to monetary matters, so if you go ahead and you ignore Dina de Machusa, so you may be in violation of stealing from the government. So that I understand, theft is something which is a real isser and something which you're not allowed to do. This is a, like the example you just said, Ellen, that if a couple is not legally married and they fill out paperwork to get uh, to get the tax benefits as if they are a married couple when they're not, so and they get a refund based on that, so that's gazela. They just stole money from the government. The government says, we don't recognize your marriage. You can't go ahead and start collecting those benefits when the government says those aren't yours for, uh, for taking. So that we understand, that if you go ahead and you violate Dina de Machusa and you profit from that, you profit financially from that, so that's going to be just regular mamon. But those things which have nothing to do with money whatsoever, let's talk about, he's going to talk about this later on, let's talk about running a red light at 2.30 in the morning. Right? So there is no, so you didn't take anything from the government. If you got caught, you'd have to pay a, a, you know, a ticket perhaps. But you're not stealing anything from the government when you go ahead and you run a red light at 2.30 in the morning. So, if you do not conduct yourself according to the law, so what exactly is the Avera? 
Now he says, and this is something now that we're in the season, it's something which is interesting to consider, because if you remember, so we have uh, in the Asham news, which we're going to say during uh, Slichos and Aser Shemay Tshuva and on Yom Kippur, we'll say that many times, and we'll say many Alchets. Alchets, we get two per uh, uh, letter of Aleph Beis. And some people go ahead and say the Chidaz Alchet, the Chidaz Vidui, which has many more uh, Averas based on the order of the Aleph Beis. And if you look through all of that, you won't fa- find Alchet Shechatanu Bedina Demachusa Dina for the sin which was committed in violation of Dina Demachusa. So he says, so Asher Weiss says, Venir Lachar Da'avar Al Ratzon HaTorah. He says a fascinating idea, and I don't really know the scope of it. I have to look up where he cross-references himself elsewhere. But he says, a person who violates Dina Demachusa is in violation of the desire of the Torah. The Torah's desired behavior, the, the expected behavior of you that you violate. So it's not Naveira per se, there's not some specific Aveira. It's not one of the Taryag mitzvahs. It's not something which is even a Durabana necessarily, but the Torah has an expectation of you and you have not satisfied that. The Bisham of Melch Yisrael, when we're dealing with a Jewish king, Yesh mitzvah, Somtasim Alech HaMelech. So there's a mitzvah to go ahead and uh, to place upon you a king. Yesh Din Morid B'Malchus. And if somebody doesn't listen to a Jewish king, so there's such a concept as Moreb Malchus. You're, uh, you're considered to be uh, somebody who is rebelling against the, 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 the king. And that, that carries, uh, the king has the right to execute somebody. That's how David Malchus was able to kill some people during his lifetime because they were categorized as a Moreb Malchus. But when it comes to a non-Jewish government, so what mitzvah is there or Aveira is there for not compli- for non-compliance? What we have to say is, the Torah expects the desire of the Torah, the expectation of the Torah is you should comply with the government laws. So in this is what Shmuel, he's the one in Shas who coined the phrase, Dina de Machusa Dina, this is what he's teaching us. The Dina de Machusa Dina, we say the law of the land is Din, what that means is it's an expected behavior. Not that if you violate it, it's an Aveira, for which you would have to say, it doesn't fit into any of those categories, but there's an, there's such a, a concept in Torah as expected behavior, and you have not complied with that expected behavior. Okay. So now, we found that Rav Asher Weiss is now saying that according to his current understanding of things, so there's a broad definition of Dina de Malchusa, not only those things which are related to financial matters, but even those things which are related to the benefit of society, the good of society, that's going to be binding as well. And then he says, although there's an expectation that uh, everybody is going to follow Dina de Malchusa, even by things which are non-financial, it's not Naveira. It's an expected behavior the Torah wants and expects you to comply, but it's not something which is going to fall into the category of an Avera. And we're going to see in this next paragraph the significance of that. So he says, Ulafizet. So now remember, we began with the fellow who went ahead and constructed his sukkah in a way where he didn't get the necessary permits, and it's in violation of regular municipal law that you're not allowed to have uh, such a thing. 
I don't remember if you if you remember the people who are uh, in show by me, but last last summer when my in-laws were here with their trailer, so they parked the trailer in the in the, our, our our side yard next to the garage. And at some point, right before they were about to leave, we got a notice from the village that's illegal and we have to go ahead and we got to get rid of it. So they were leaving anyway, so it didn't really make a difference. Otherwise, we would face a fine. But apparently, it's illegal to go ahead and park your trailer next to uh, on the uh, on the property on your uh, on your house, on your uh, on your lawn. So uh, in the event, so he says, so that's a violation. So now, is that the or So what exactly is that? So now he swings it back around to the question of the sukkah, lefiz and nira, legabishes kvotarasta. So now let's swing back around to your question. So somebody went ahead and constructed a sukkah without getting permits. So what's the status of the sukkah? We know that there could be such a thing as a puzzle sukkah. So in the event that one goes ahead and builds a sukkah, and violates, if you stole land or you stole the materials of the sukkah, then you're not Yotze sukkah. So we know there's such a concept of sukkah gazula with, uh, with which you cannot fulfill the mitzvah. So a sukkah that violates din of the what exactly is the status? So he says, Nira, the kevan de mahus takanazu lo mishum gazeli. He says it would seem to be that the requirement to get permits or not getting a permit does not mean that you stole anything from the government. The lo mishum zchuyas mamon o yaadran, it has nothing to do with anything financial. El mishum betichos atzibur, it's just a way of trying to secure the safety and well-being of the tzibur, Shema, because people may go ahead and build a sukkah, which is not so safe. So therefore, it's no gazela. And therefore, he says, since it's not an issue of gazela when you build your sukkah without a permit, So this would be another thing which somebody may go ahead and invoke. And they say, listen, there's another disqualification when it comes to mitzvahs. Not only are stolen materials not usable for a mitzvah, but there's a concept of mitzvah hababa avera, where the mitzvah is fulfilled only because you violated some sort of iser in the process of fulfilling a mitzvah. Like, for example, if I steal an esrog to go ahead and be yotze with it. So the only way I'm trying to be yotze, the mitzvah of esrog, is with this stolen esrog. So mitzvah hababa avera, the fulfillment of the mitzvah of esrog, which comes about because I stole the esrog from somebody, so that doesn't work. That's, a, that, that, that's not a fulfillment of a mitzvah. So says Rav Asher Weiss, that principle does not apply when a person builds a sukkah that's in violation of dina de Important an, an important principle. Why? Because violating Dina de Machusa is not an actual Avera, neither the Hainu Ase o Losase. It's not a violation of an Ase, a positive command, or a Losase, or a prohibition. It expresses the intent of the Torah, the expectation of the Torah, of how we want you to behave, but somebody who violates it is not considered to be an Avarian that we would apply the rule Mitzvah Baba Avera. And therefore, so, uh, since that doesn't apply, it doesn't get in the way. Yes, sir? So, so uh, apparently he's not considering it gazela that you're depriving the government of the price of the permit. Correct. I mean, but, you know... Because you're, you're not taking something from them. It's a debt that you may owe them, but that's not gazela. Okay. 
Now he says another fascinating thing, also very important as far as understanding the parameters of Dina de Mechusa. So the first thing is, he says, that is as broad of a definition as, as Dina de Mechusa has from his perspective, but it still doesn't rise to an Avera. And therefore, since it's not actually an Avera to violate Dina de Mechusa, therefore we could say that it's not considered to be Mitzvah Habab Avera, that principle would not be applicable over here. Now he says another fascinating idea. He says, Let me share with you another thing which is in my heart. He says, because the laws of Hashem, the Torah laws, are not the same as Din and Machusa. When it comes to the mitzvahs of Torah, they're fundamentally different. Why? It doesn't make a difference whether the laws of Torah that we're contrasting over here, the contrast between halacha and dina de machusa, is not going to make a difference whether we're talking about a daraisa halacha or a drabanan halacha. It has nothing at all to do with daraisa or drabanan, but there is going to be this huge difference between halacha and dina de machusa. Because when it comes to Torah law, so ein kan makom lepashrus, there's no room for compromise. We don't start compromising on halacha. And a person cannot use their seichel and say, well, I think in this circumstance, halacha doesn't apply. On this day of the week, when it falls on this day of the month, and it's a full moon, and uh, you know the cubs won, so I'm allowed to eat the double bacon cheeseburger. There's no such cheshmer like that. You can't go ahead as, as, as much as you may think it's logical and it makes sense. So halacha doesn't allow you to go ahead and make cheshboros, to make calculations, and to make arguments against something which is asr and halacha. There's no such thing. When it comes to dina de machusa, there is room, I don't want to say there's room for negotiation, but there is room for rationalization. Based on what exactly the intent of the law is. Now he says, He says, I'll give you an example. And this I mentioned before. When it comes to law, driving laws, traffic laws. You're not allowed to uh, go uh, through an intersection when there's a red light. That's universal. Everybody knows that to be true. You're not allowed to run a red light. Now, first of all, he said, now first of all, he says, So do we say that if somebody's there at 2.30 in the morning, they're coming back from a late uh, driving uh, trip, you're there, you can see, you see all three directions, there aren't any cars anywhere near where you are. It's dark outside, so you'll be able to see headlights, and you can see very clearly, nobody is coming. There's no potential danger at all. In that even a slight possibility of any danger whatsoever. There are no cars. Running this red light is not going to be a danger to anybody. And furthermore, nobody is there to see what you're doing. It's one thing if your teenager is in the car and they see that you run a red light, they'll say, well, mommy ran a red light, daddy ran a red light. That must mean that it's okay to run red lights and they'll go ahead and do so at 2.30 in the afternoon rather than 2.30 at night. So we're talking about you're all by yourself, the middle of the night, in the middle of nowheresville, Montana. Nobody will see, nobody will know. The one red light there is in Montana. You happen to get stuck in that, <laughs> that one red light at 2.30 in the morning. And it's like uh, uh, East Prairie and Dempster. It just, it just doesn't change. You're there for five minutes and the light doesn't change. What are you supposed to do? You're stuck there forever? 
Would the Torah say that you're not allowed to run that red light? It's very logical to say that even the um, the law doesn't really mean to say that you can't run a red light in this circumstance. The, only, the problem that the law runs into is they can't say, well, in this circumstance, it's okay to run the red light, but uh, in 99% of the circumstance, you're not allowed to run the red light, but in 1% you are. You can't structure laws that way because then it becomes too easy for everybody to rationalize, rationalize and say, it doesn't apply in this circumstance, it doesn't apply now, I'm in a big rush, I got to make minion, I got to do that, all the different rationalizations which a person may have. So the law has to go ahead and just say, you're not allowed to run a red light no matter what. So that's what the law is going to say. That's the only way to structure the law. But Lemaisa, if there was a way to structure it where they could say that if you run a red light, when there's no potential danger to anybody in the world whatsoever, we find that to be okay, that would be okay. Then they would probably go ahead and they, they would do so. There's no reason not to. Umistabrali, the Choke Agabna, Zilbasar Taima. He says, when it comes to Dina the Machusa, we do have the right to go ahead and try and understand why did they institute the law? Why did they enact the law? And whether or not what I want to do is that consistent with what they had in mind, or this is not what they had in mind. That if their whole intention is that it should be safe driving and nobody should be in danger, so that any circumstance where it's clear there is no danger to anybody at all, why do you have to be being that it's not in Avera? And the only reason why the law was enacted was to keep everybody safe. And if everybody's going to be safe, even if I run this red light, so who cares if I run the red light? Or who cares if I roll through the stop sign? Not that I do so. I'm just saying that that's what he writes. So he says, therefore, so now we have rationalization number two. He says rationalization. Rationalization number two is that din de is something that we could go ahead and we could explore why it is that this was prohibited and whether the rationale applies in this circumstance. Halach, we're not allowed to do that. We can't say God only wants me to eat kosher food because he thinks it's healthier. And nowadays that there's healthy food which doesn't have a hatcher, I'm allowed to go ahead and eat that food. That's not for us to decide why God said you're not allowed to eat, uh, why you have to eat kosher and you're not allowed to eat, eat a double bacon cheeseburger. If the Torah says it's us or it's us, or. there's nothing to negotiate. There's no way to go ahead and rationalize. When it comes to Dina de Machusa, we can't go ahead and do so. And therefore, he says, so now as we take these principles and we apply them to uh, the, the sukkahs, which are built without a permit, so we could say, So we know, if you live in a Jewish city, so there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of sukkahs, which are built each and every year. And effectively, the government does nothing to go ahead and stop it. All they do, all they need to do is just drive down Jewish neighborhoods and they'll see in front yards and backyards throughout the, the neighborhood for about two weeks, you have these uh, structures which are being built, and they don't go ahead and start putting all of these, um, I forgot what you, you would call it, putting notices on all these sukkahs that it's illegally built and if you don't take it down, we're going to go ahead and we're going to penalize you. They don't go ahead and put up such notices. 
And governments, as a general rule, they're not mocked at all. Maybe if a neighbor complains, so to keep the neighbor quiet, they'll go ahead and they'll slap, uh, you know, something onto the uh, onto the uh, onto your sukkah. But if nobody complains, so they don't want to go ahead and make waves as far as this. So therefore, being that this is something which is not navera, it's something which is uh, assuming that it doesn't really pose a danger to anybody, and they never are mocked on it. They never enforce these laws, anyways. So therefore, there's no reason to assume, conclude, the Minchas Asher, conclude the Vashar Weiss, that it's going to be prohibited to build your sukkah without first getting a permit. Because uh, in terms of invoking Dina de Machusa, even though technically what you're doing is against the law, but nonetheless, it's not something which is going to be uh, problematic, and therefore he feels that it's going to be okay. But, he says, And he says, as we apply these ideas to other aspects of Dina de Machusa to decide it does apply, it doesn't apply, so you have to, you have to uh, deliberate very, uh, very carefully to decide you know, uh, when you think that it will apply, when it's not going to apply. And the same thing is going to be true when it comes to constructing a sukkah. And therefore, if you build your sukkah in a way which does pose a danger to somebody, that may very well be aser. But if you build a relatively secure sukkah, and the only issue is you technically did not secure for yourself a permit ahead of time, so Vashar Weiss does not seem to be uh, uh, concerned about that at all, that there's going to be a reason to say it's a mitzvah ba'avera, or that you shouldn't build a sukkah under such conditions. This is something which the government is well aware of. The government doesn't mind, and once they, even they, don't enforce their own laws, so then it's not considered to be a violation of Dina de Machusa. It's similar to, not exactly the same, actually the Chassam Sofer is an even bigger Chiddush, but it's similar to what the Chassam Sofer writes with regards to Mechiras Chametz, the sale of Chametz. Because the, the law, the, 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 uh, the country has a general law, let's say just uh, when you're selling food, there's going to be a sales tax. Right, whatever the sales tax is, I don't know what the, the, the tax is. I, I'm happy I don't know what, they, what it is, but there's a sales tax. So let's assume that there's 10%. So what happens right before Pesach? So the way it works nowadays is there's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars of chametz which is being sold. So the government technically should get 10% of that sale. And then when we buy it back from the guy, we're selling again the same hundred thousand dollars. There should be another ten percent, which is going to the government. And yet, nobody seems to be nobody that I've heard of is makbid to go ahead and pay sales tax on the chametz which they go ahead and they sell to the goy. Why not? So some sofer says because the government recognizes that this is just a religious formality, and nobody really means to go ahead and sell the food in a way where it would make sense to apply the tax. And therefore, he says that they know that we're doing it. They're not Mahmoud because they realize that it's not something which is which is real. And therefore, it's acceptable to sell your hummus without paying the uh, the sales tax. And in the same way, I think that along the same lines, Vasha Weiss is uh, saying that even though there's technically a law on the books which says any sort of structure which you're going to build on your property, you have to first get a uh, a permit for. But something like this, they know it's being built for a week. It's not going to last. It happens all the time. Jews, for some reason, are relatively good at building uh, sukkahs, and they don't, uh, you know, unless there's a hurricane. So it doesn't go uh, flying all over the place, and it doesn't pose a danger to anybody, and therefore they're not makbid, and it's going to be uh, acceptable. All right, good. So 
with that, uh, so we finished. So don't forget, next week, classes are going to be Tuesday and Thursday. It is going to eight be o'clock. At eight o'clock. So it's eight, eight o'clock both.